Croeso, and welcome to the Revive Our Worlds podcast. I'm Tamsin, and I'll be taking you through each of our podcasts as we talk to experts, campaigners and nature lovers about the issues that nature in Wales is facing right now, how people can make a difference and how we can revive our world. With Welsh elections this May and global summits later in the year, we have a huge opportunity to turn around nature's decline and we can use our voices to bring about change. RSPB Cymru have devised five steps to a more sustainable future. A pathway of suggestions for the next Welsh Government which could create a fairer, healthier Wales where people live in harmony with abundant wildlife. This is the first of three podcasts where we'll be looking at aspects of these five steps and talking to colleagues and experts about the work they're doing, why it's important to all of us and ways in which they think each step could make a difference. At the end of each podcast, we'll bring you some time to relax as we listen to and appreciate some of the amazing sounds of Welsh nature from shoreline to mountaintop, so do stay with us for that. You can find out more about the Revive Our World campaign, Five Steps to a Green Recovery and Take Action to Speak Up for Nature Yourself at rspb.org.uk slash reviveourworldcymru. Links are in the podcast show notes. I'm here with my colleague Tabea Wilkes, Nature Policy Officer for RSPB Cymru. Hi Tabea. Hi. Tabea, this podcast is all about green recovery and I know that's a phrase which you and I have heard an awful lot of in the past 12 months but perhaps for our listeners it's a less familiar term and concept. Perhaps you could explain a little more about what a green recovery means. It's definitely a word that we've heard used a lot over the last year. So We know that the government will have to invest money to make sure that the economy can recover from the impacts of the pandemic. But we need to keep in mind that until the pandemic hit, our biggest concern was the unfolding nature and climate crisis. And this hasn't gone away. That might be quite overwhelming for many listeners. But we have all seen our lives change drastically over the last year. The way that we work, travel, exercise, maybe even go shopping. But while it might be a little bit overwhelming, it's a good time to question how we do things and what we can do better. And one thing that we can do better is make sure that we value nature better and that our economy no longer exploits the natural environment. So we want to see that the actions that governments take to recover from the pandemic would also become the first steps in helping us tackle the nature and climate crisis. That's what we mean by a green recovery. And in the first conversation we'll hear today, which was recorded in January, RSPB Cymru Director Katie Jo Luxton is talking to Sue Pritchard, the Chief Executive of the Food, Farming and Countryside Commission, about the wider situation we find ourselves in as a result of the pandemic and how organisations and government might work towards a green recovery to build back economically while also benefiting nature and people's physical and mental health. Obviously, one of the aspects of the pandemic that has affected millions of us is employment. And one of the keystones of a green recovery is not only ensuring that there will be jobs for people to go back to, but that these jobs will contribute to the recovery of Wales' natural environment. That's something you've been doing a lot of work on recently, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. I've been really involved in helping shape what we mean by green jobs There are obvious ones that will contribute to decarbonisation. So, for example, we've heard a lot about retrofitting homes. But what we really want to see is that green jobs also includes jobs in nature restoration. We often talk about planting trees, but there's obviously a lot of other jobs that people can do in nature. It would be a COVID-safe way to employ many people, but it would also help restore our natural environment and... At the end of the day, it would help provide effective natural flood defences and ultimately tackle climate change in Wales. And in order to make this happen, we've actually been working with uh, Sue and with many, many others to develop something that we're now calling a national nature service. This isn't a new idea. Some people might remember from history class that in the US, Roosevelt started something that he called a civilian conservation corps to get people back to work during the Great Depression, but also build America's national parks. But obviously we have to make this idea work for Wales and work for the current crisis that we find ourselves in so that we can absorb some of the shock of unemployment that we are seeing because of the pandemic, but also to look ahead and make sure we're taking big steps in addressing the nature and climate crisis. I sat down with Ben Rollins, director of Black Mountains College, to have a chat about the work they're doing there 
to provide the right training and qualifications for young people to enter a green workforce, and so that the jobs of the future will benefit our wildlife, as well as being part of a thriving economy. And then in our third conversation in today's podcast, you also had a chat with a couple of young people who have experience and aspirations in the green job sector too. Yeah, I had a really interesting chat with Phoebe and Yasmin, who were kind enough to share their insights about entering the job market, how the nature and climate crisis is taught in schools, and also their personal and career hopes for the future. Thanks, Tabea. It's such an interesting topic to cover, and there are so many potential opportunities for Wales to make some really positive changes for the future. So, let's hear what everyone had to say. Hi there, I'm Katie Jo Luxton, Director of RSPB Cymru, and I'm talking today with Sue Pritchard from the Food, Farming and Countryside Commission about a green recovery. So, Sue, do you want to say a little bit about the Commission and why you're interested in a green recovery? Hi Katie, and, and Happy New Year to you. Uh, so the Food Farming and Countryside Commission was established back in 2017 now, in, initially um, to answer some of the questions raised by the UK's exit from the European Union. We published our reports in 2019 and our funders and stakeholders um, invited us to stick around a little bit longer to help put our uh, recommendations into action, which um it's, of course, a very exciting opportunity to have. Um, and so I suppose um, thoughts about a green recovery have been um, implicit in our thinking, perhaps from the start, because quite quite quickly we moved away from just thinking about questions associated with Brexit and thinking um, as much, if not more, about the sorts of food and farming systems we need for to tackle the climate and nature emergencies and now of course the health and economic crisis we face in the um, response to the COVID-19 pandemic and the green recovery the term green recovery has of course taken on a whole new meaning a whole new urgency giving us this once in a generation opportunity to to reset our values and our priorities and aligning that recovery with what's needed to create a much more sustainable future. And we are delighted to be in the thick of those questions with our partners and with our colleagues. So it's it's a really interesting time because I think for many people responding and coming out of the COVID crisis that we're facing is so challenging that that putting the environmental questions in the in the middle of it feels quite challenging because it's difficult to deal with more than one emergency if you like at any one time but you talk there of of a climate and a nature emergency do you want to just say a bit more about that and how you you know whether whether it's kind of linked to the the health emergency we're facing mm. with covid as well mm. Harry, you're right this is you know, people say these are unprecedented times. It's become such a cliche to say that, but it is. You know, our, our generation um, has not faced anything as um, overwhelming and as far-reaching as the situation uh, in which we find ourselves at the moment. Um, and you're right; it can be extremely tough to try and think about bigger. Um, global challenges when for many people they're struggling with their incomes with caring responsibilities with you know, how to you know care for their kids and and their older relatives and so on but but curiously I have found in my experience that people are joining the dots people are making the connections between the the crisis that we're in at the moment and those bigger questions of the kind of world that we really do want to live in. So, for example, at the start of the coronavirus crisis, um, the fragilities and fault lines in our food system were absolutely thrown into sharp relief. Now, um, lots of people managed to... um, to respond to that from supermarkets and supply chains, but also in communities. Communities worked 
incredibly effectively together and really, really quickly to support their neighbours, to support their friends, to do the really practical things that were needed right in that moment before government had even, you know, woken up, as it were, to the nature of the crisis. So it does feel to me, and in my, my conversations with people in communities and particularly farmers, that the the dots have indeed been joined up, the connections have been made. And People don't want to let this crisis go to waste. They don't want... Yeah, really (laughs) important point, I think, actually, because in many ways now is the time to act, I think, is what I hear you saying, is that, you know, just because, you know, we've got a number of really big challenges facing us, now's the time to look at how we find a solution to all of them rather than just one. And I think for me, understanding that in many ways the, the health emergency around COVID has been in some way caused by how us humans are kind of encroaching on natural habitats and pushing yes. animals into closer contact with humans is really a, a parallel for many of the challenges we're facing in the natural world yeah. um and uh, and the, uh, and that's the the yeah, we're precipitating a whole range of different challenges in the natural world in the way we're currently living. And I really like this phrase that I heard the other day about a nature positive economy as the new way to go forward. And I thought that was quite a helpful phrase because it links the idea that we we can't just keep depleting nature um, to make uh, uh, our economy work. We've got to try and find a way of uh, restoring nature and that being a key part of our economic model. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I think... You're, you're right that it's made us think really hard about the foundational um, aspects of all human life. You know, we, we talk a lot in the Food Farming Countryside Commission about the importance of soils, which was not a conversation that very many people were having even five years ago, actually. And, and yet increasingly people are realising that without paying attention to things that are often hidden from view, we are damaging, we're depleting, we are just really undermining um, the the conditions that we need for for life on earth, for all life on earth, not just for us. The, the other big thing for me, I think, the other big insight for me um, in relation to the green recovery has is that um, we've seen over the last nine months now what governments are prepared to do in the face of a crisis, what they are prepared to spend money on and where they're prepared to invest. So in the past, when you and I have been you know, making cases for investment in green initiatives, really, really important green initiatives, we have, I suggest, often been fobbed off by being told, yeah, but it, you know, we can't really afford it. You know, there's, there's only so much money to go around and we have to prioritise other really important investments. Well, those arguments have been knocked into a cocked hat, haven't they? Uh, Because it is quite clear that governments around the world can find the resources they need to invest in the things that are really, really important. And I think those those two insights together, what's important to us um, in our communities, and in our families, and what we've seen governments capable of doing when when it's necessary changes the game. It changes the conversation now, doesn't it, about how government can and should respond to the still present climate and nature crisis that is, is going to be around when we've come out of the coronavirus crisis. Yeah, so we've really seen what a response to an emergency could look like and it's yeah. changed our it's changed the frame of our discussions i think yeah. yeah yeah so one of the things when i'm talking to people is is that people like and understand the concept of a green recovery but we don't always manage to communicate what kind of jobs we're talking about and i've noticed a lot of the government literature that's touching on this tends to focus quite narrowly on things like uh, sustainable transport and renewable uh, energy all very valuable things. But I think some of the ideas you've got coming out of the Food Farming and Countryside Commission are much broader uh, and perhaps uh, areas that people wouldn't necessarily think around, about nature recovery, habitat restoration. Uh, Do you want to say a bit about that? Because I think those ideas are really interesting and really fit in with the idea of of really good quality jobs that give people a lot of social return as well. Yes. 
I mean, you're absolutely right. There is a risk in front of us at the moment that the green recovery concentrates on big infrastructure projects, um, what I sometimes call the jobs for the boys, you know, those those big high-tech, um, uh, high-cost uh, technical projects that, um, that so many government policymakers get incredibly excited about. And, and arguably they are important. It is important to, um, to you know, change our energy requirements. It is important to transform um, the way we think about transport. But... But arguably as important, if not more important, are the kinds of jobs we need to be investing in now, which um, restore nature. And uh, well, first of all, stop the decline in nature and then restore nature. And I think there are two reasons why this is important. The first is for its own sake, because if we don't, the nature crisis is as likely to kill us all before the climate crisis does on current evidence. But second of all, jobs in nature, jobs working outside in the countryside and in nature can be incredibly restorative to humans too. So we we have seen through the COVID crisis how, how much people miss being outside, how much people miss being in nature, how important nature is. Um, as uh, as a restorative experience for people who are struggling with their mental health, you know, we before all this happened, we were talking about social prescribing and you know encouraging clinicians to um, encourage people into the natural world. Wouldn't it be great if there was a whole um, tranche of jobs of, of proper, well-paid, well-resourced jobs available to do that really critical work so that people didn't have to make um, a false choice between the kind of volunteering that um, is is currently available, but actually proper investment in the work that's needed for the green recovery. So the sorts of things that we think about, the really practical things we think about are, as you say, about habitat restoration, about tree planting, you know, wetland restoration, um, having many, many more hedgerows across our landscape will be incredibly important, recreating proper functional habitat corridors for, um, for wildlife. Uh, there, there's and, and and actually we can translate all of that into um, urban or suburban settings too. You know, having having more green spaces in towns and cities uh, has again immediate benefits for people living there, but also starts to create that uh, green network, that restorative green network, uh, nature network, which. Um, we know is just going to be so incredibly important over the next decades. So I, I think that's really exciting. So for a nature conservationist, uh, yeah, we we can never manage to bring in enough income from charitable activities only to deliver the amount of conservation action we know is needed on the ground. Mm-hmm. So this feels quite an exciting moment. But I suppose many people would ask the question, so where will the financing for for that come from do you see this being as part of government grant around um the uh, a, a new land management scheme and a new parks and investment scheme or do you see us over time being able to create a framework for a new type of economy uh, which would require different types of investment perhaps involving the private sector as well i i think both in fact both i mean as we were saying you know, just a little bit earlier, government can choose to direct its resources on things that are important to it. And at the moment, you and I might both argue that there's nothing more important than tackling the climate and nature emergency. And nature-based solutions are at the heart of that. Nature-based solutions is a bit of a kind of grand abstracted term, but that actually means you know, planting trees, restoring grasslands, restoring habitats, protecting and restoring peatlands, really, really practical things that are at the heart of actions to um, to mitigate and respond to the climate and nature crises. So, you know, government can choose to direct its resources on those things that are important to it. At the moment, you know, people people don't think too hard about how government currently spends its money, how it spends its money at the moment in contracting for more roads or contracting 
for um, for energy or indeed, you know, contracting for incredibly expensive defence projects. You know, government spends our money in all sorts of different ways and, and that we have decided that somehow um, nature restoration, nature recovery is not as legitimate as those other choices is a curious question in itself and one that we ought to be asking really loudly. But I think the second point that you make there is, are there other sources of finance available to us? Well, the answer to that is a big fat yes at the moment. I don't know if you heard Mark Carney's wreath lectures just before Christmas, but he was making it really clear that the climate and nature crises is a global economic crisis now. And businesses, investors have to make sure that their resources are directed at responding to that crisis. And he um, uh, you know, suggested a whole, a whole range of things that businesses and investors can do. So I think there are very, very many investors, an increasing number of investors now looking to where they can place their resources to help um, respond to the climate and nature crises. One of the issues is, as I understand it, we're not very good at um, at describing those uh, those investable products that people can put their resources into. And that's a that's a big question for us at the Food Farming and Countryside Commission this year. Another of the reports that we've just been publishing is a report called Farming Smarter. And in that we talk about all of the different ways of generating investment from a range of sources into, in, in our case, in agroecological farming systems, which um, both provide you know, healthy, nutritious food and you know, respond to the climate and nature crises through different farming practices. So I think I think there's a whole plethora of um, ways of resourcing the work that is now needed for the green recovery. And uh, just kind of pointing to those and lining those up is uh, is the job of this decade, I think. Yeah, well, it feels quite exciting. And, you know, whatever your view on, on Brexit, you know, we've, we've had some big changes in the last few weeks that we know will affect the rural economy in a big way. Do you see this green recovery as being part of how we respond to the changed climate for farming around Brexit as well? Because, you know, one of the big fears was would we be able to export Upland Hill lamb, for example, in Wales? Um, and uh, yet many of those farms are also the places where there's opportunities for more carbon storage, whether it's through the peaty soils or for tree planting, uh, but also for, for water management as well. So these are potentially some of the same places that uh, yeah. could could be key for a green recovery. Yes, absolutely. I mean, yes. So we have now exited the European Union and we have a skinny deal, but we have a deal. And, and there's much still to do to understand what that really means um, across a whole range of sectors. Uh, but the crisis has been averted and we can now focus our attention on the kinds of food and farming systems we want um, in Wales and across the UK. Um, I'm really encouraged by our minister's commitment to agroecological and integrated food and farming systems, which recognise that we don't really have a choice between food production or mitigating climate change and recovering nature. We have to be able to do all of those things together, that in taking the opportunity to grow more of our own healthy fruit and vegetables and making good use of what we can grow on the hilltops, um, cannot be done at the expense of um, recovering nature in the way that you've just described there. So our, um, our report out this week uh, called Farming for Change uh, describes how that is in fact possible and how with you know, if we create the right enabling conditions through policy um, and through the next um, sustainable land management schemes that will replace the common agricultural policy, we can... We can tackle the climate crisis, the nature crisis, and the public health crisis. You know, in Wales, we know we've got um, higher numbers of people suffering from long-term and often diet-related chronic illnesses, which has knock-on effects throughout our social fabric. 
trying to tackle those in silos has not worked in the past. And we do have opportunities now to tackle those big questions in much more integrated ways. So the future that I imagine, the, the, the vision that I have for, for Wales for the next 10 years is a country which you know, is really bold and courageous in the decisions that it takes to act on the climate and nature crisis, which is um, uh, you know, replanting our uplands in partnership with farmers and landowners in the uh, in the hills recognizing that you know as, as well as producing um you know good quality food for us those farmers in wales particularly are often you know at the heart of the welsh culture and language and uh, and and history which also deserves support and protection so being able to being able to develop the kinds of contextually, culturally appropriate policies for Wales, which enable us to act in a really integrated way across um, all of the challenges that we're describing here in this conversation is, I think, a really exciting opportunity. And of course, you know, the, the Welsh policy framework, the Future Generations Act, encourages us to do that as well. You know, it, it absolutely underpins this, if you like, whole systems thinking when we are, you know, just refusing to have one part of that big picture sliced off and siloed. And we're working across all of those um, challenges at the same time. It really does feel like quite an exciting moment from how you're describing it, Sue, about uh, coming together to really collaborate. And it's one of the things I found having worked in environmental policy is uh, that, that it tends to be very siloed and you get yeah. you know, put back in your little silo and talking to health professionals or education or even in the economy was seen as you know not something that, that you should be doing in the environment sector because you separate off these different things. And I think that's probably one of the biggest challenges going forward for our politicians is how do we work in a new integrated way uh, because I like the phrase you used at the beginning about a green reset rather than a green recovery actually because we're not going back to anything we're going no. towards something new and that that feels really quite exciting and uh, I'd love to talk to you some more Sue about this uh, over the next year or so and maybe we should do a make this a series of podcasts uh, because <laughs> I think this is a really exciting space but thank you ever so much for talking to us now and setting the frame for what's going to be a very exciting year I think uh, so thank you very much Sue my pleasure I'm here today with Ben Rollins thank you so much for joining us hello Tabea how are you Ben perhaps you could start by introducing yourself and let us know whereabouts you're at at the moment during lockdown Hi there. So my name is Ben Rawlance. I'm the director of Black Mountains College, which is a project to set up a new university in the National Park in the Brecon Beacons. Um, I am currently in Talgarth in the Black Mountains, where I have been for the last nine months. Um, and uh, looking forward to getting, uh, getting out and, and seeing other parts of the country when it's possible. So I want to ask you a little bit more about your work with Black Mountains College. Um, Black Mountains College has a really interesting vision for the future. And could you maybe talk a little bit about why Black Mountains College is different and what kind of skills are you teaching your students for, for the, the, the future that you're kind of envisaging through this college? So... We um, on this planet are on the verge of a, a transformational epoch in the history of the geology, but also the human history, uh, the period of time that we've, the very short period of time that we've been on this planet. Um, climate change is shortly going to enter quite a disruptive phase in the coming decades, um, which is going to have huge ramifications for our food production, our, the way we organise our societies and our economies, and looking at the kinds of educational opportunities on offer at the moment, I don't think um, they are doing enough 
to prepare people for that huge transformational change. So the idea behind Black Mountains College is to give a, a holistic general education that is designed to unlock the best of human ability, creativity and ingenuity in order to get ready for this big challenge. Um, and that means drawing on a lot of um, the history of um, best practice of teaching um, and pedagogy and learning, um, bringing together all that we know about how humans learn best um, and trying to boil that down into a single degree program. And the kinds of skills I'm talking about are things that um, lots of other people are also talking about, uh, like the CBI and the World Bank and the World Economic Forum, are the soft skills generally, um, communication, collaboration, empathy, creativity, initiative, all of the sorts of things that employers are often looking for and so far in many surveys are saying that, um, that, that graduates often lack. So there's both a, a kind of traditional historic reason for um, this kind of interdisciplinary holistic education, but there is also a very urgent current priority for why these skills are even more um, necessary now. And we've developed what we think is quite an exciting curriculum that is uh, more likely to deliver those kinds of skills than your traditional classroom-based single-subject education. That's really, really interesting. Thanks. I mean, you've been, you've been working throughout most of this year, all of this year. Um, I know I've seen you in meetings. We obviously have had a very, very odd year um, that is hopefully coming to an end with COVID. Um, and it's been very interesting because I think more than ever before, we are rethinking how our society works. And I'm really curious, what, what are you taking away from the year 2020? Has it confirmed? A lot of your kind of beliefs or are you questioning something what are you taking it away for your future work um well covid has been obviously challenging um and a disaster for many people um including including ours where we lost family members um but in a way it hasn't really changed my beliefs um it, it what it has done is it, it's been refreshing because the rest of the world is sort of caught up and is starting to speak the same language, the language of transformation, the language of a great reset, the idea that we can't go on as we have done, the centrality of well-being um, and new kinds of ways of new metrics of measuring our economic activity. So people talking about the well-being economy, the foundational economy, much more um, green recovery instead of um, you know, a growth recovery. Um, so all of that is very refreshing. It's brought some new supporters and more new interest to the college and what we're trying to do. Um, and a huge uptick, I must say, in, in interest from potential students, um, both in our undergraduate programme, but in our further education, our NVQs, vocational courses, which are starting this coming September. Um, and those are um, all around what we call future skills. But in many cases, they are the skills of the past, like coppicing, like seasonal catering or regenerative horticulture without using too many um, chemical-based inputs, um, precisely because we need to be relocalizing our economies. Uh, we need to be shortening our supply chains. Uh, we won't be able to rely on uh, imported timber in the future because I suspect the, the the cost of fossil fuel shipping is 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 going to be um, prohibitive. So, these are the kinds of skills that that we think we we need to revive um, and get people ready for for a new kind of economy. And uh, yeah, like I say, thankfully a lot of people are, are coming in, moving in our direction, which which is um, is always nice to see when you're trying to do something new and and you know potentially quite um, exposing. Yeah, definitely. That's really exciting. There's this really strong, um, I guess, foundation environmental message in everything that you do. 
And I know you've been involved a little bit in ongoing work around a national nature service for Wales, which is an idea that's kind of come up for the last few months. I was just, um, could you maybe explain to our listeners um, what that is and um, what your ambitions are for it, what your vision is? Because it links very much to your experience at the college already. Well, I think the idea for a national nature service is terrific. Um, and we, we can't claim any authorship of the idea. We were invited to a couple of um, visioning meetings to, to think about what this might look like. Um, so the idea, as I understand it, is for something a little bit akin to national service when people had to go and work in the military um, for a, a year or so, um, which many countries still have, uh, a national service requirement. Um, and I don't think the idea is it would, it, that it would be compulsory, but it would be an opportunity for everybody to spend a period of time engaged in working towards environmental goals and working in nature to support the work of the designated landscapes, the national parks and the AONBs, um, potentially for some of that work to be accredited to provide pathways towards uh, qualifications, which could lead to jobs, um, and also potentially linked to apprenticeships in particular sectors. Um, we have ambitious goals in Wales for a national forest, um, for um, uh, big changes in, in land use. Um, we have a farming review on land use change and... Um, with with very big uh, very big targets and and uh, ambitious um, goals, so there's an opportunity for uh, young people, but not only young people, um, to get involved in that challenge and both have a good experience themselves um, and get jobs and contribute to those changes. So I think it's a it's a terrific idea. I think the Welsh government is serious about getting behind it um, and supporting it. And I would hope that Black Mountains College could be a very helpful node in the network um, to provide some of those accredited pathways, to provide training, maybe as an example of best practice. We are shortly... Um, uh, finalising a 120-acre campus here near Catalgarth, which is a, um, currently a hill farm, but which we are going to be approaching from a slightly different perspective, looking at farming with biodiversity and agroecology and so on. So we, this can be a, a, a locus of learning and experimentation where hopefully um, we, can, we can drive change and, and help others in what they're trying to do. Definitely. Um, I think with 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 COVID, what we're realizing now is, especially young people, but others as well, like you say, are now facing the possibility of unemployment um, at large, possibly next year. Do you see this kind of scheme or green jobs in general very much at the heart of a of a green recovery? Is this kind of the start of a new way of looking at jobs in Wales as well? Yes, well, I mean, that's that's a question for, for the country as a whole um, and, and for the government. Um, and I'm, I think there are, there's strong reasons to be, to be optimistic. Um, I think Wales has blazed um, a trail somewhat in the UK. There is funding for adult education. So if you do want to go back to college and get a vocational qualification, you can do that in Wales. You are fully funded to, to do that. And that's, a, a, I think, a terrific foundation for um, any kind of social transformation. If we want to shift our economy in a short space of time to a different footing, you have to have that kind of safety net. Um, some people talking about a universal basic income, um, at a minimum, I think free lifelong, free opportunities to access lifelong education um, is a key plank of the ability of the state to to drive change. Otherwise, you're just relying on individuals to pursue their own interests, borrow money, or you know scrape together the resources to go and acquire a skill. Whereas if you've got a, a you know a national framework for that. Um, then, then you're in a much better place. So my vision would definitely be that Black Mountains College and 
other FE colleges in in the country are very well placed to offer this kind of um, that kind of opportunity for people to change course. Um, there are limitations with the way that um, existing modules are put together. There is not an emphasis on sustainability. Generally speaking, some sectors are better than others. Um, so we need to work now with um, employers, in particular to change the criteria, to change the rubric. So when, for example, when you do a construction NVQ, you're not simply um, doing what's been done for the last 20 years, but actually you are moving towards using more sustainable materials, more natural materials. You're working towards a much higher insulation values, building regulations and so on, so that the qualifications match the ambition. Um, and at the moment, there is a bit of work to do there um, and I'm happy to say that we're working with Centre for Alternative Technology and with Open Newtown which is a community-based education uh, initiative to try and fill some of those gaps with Neathport Talbot College who is uh, accrediting our further education courses but also those of those of others so yes I think the, the skills agenda is huge um, and I think it's a it, it not only is it necessary it's also a terrific opportunity to to work in nature, on the land. Um, that is one of Wales's great treasures um, uh, to provide other opportunities, more meaningful, um, hopefully um, healthy ways of life, um, which will, will have a positive outcome for everyone. Sure, definitely. We've obviously got a really big opportunity with Senate elections in May 2021. We'll be talking to some younger people later, but what role do you think the voice of young people has this year? It sounds like there's a, a new or renewed interest of young people. Are you quite excited that 16-year-olds will be allowed to vote? Do you think that will make um I'm very a excited even? that the franchise has been reduced. I think if you can get married and you can die for your country, then you should certainly be able to vote. Um, so I think that's that's terrific. I think that involving young people across the board is the right thing to do. So we have a, a youth panel um, of um, students under the age of 25 who are helping us with our vision and helping us think about what we're trying to do. And we've had some really interesting insights uh, from, from their perspective. Um, there is even more of a moral responsibility to involve young people at this point in time when all of the impacts of our failed uh, politics and our failed industrial economy are going to fall on my children and people um, uh, you know and people younger than me um, so there is a I think a moral responsibility but I think together with the dropping of the franchise there is now a responsibility on um, those of us who who are a bit older or who um, who do have the franchise to help explain the importance of voting to those people who are who are now um, going to enjoy its benefit it 's no good dropping the franchise if they don 't vote so we need a registration effort, and I think we also need to need an education effort so that people could, so that those young people can understand what 's at stake. Um, understand how to ask cr critical questions, how to make sure that they um, that they're looking at what the information that they're receiving on the internet is genuine, that they're not being brainwashed, um, that they're not uh, you know um, being manipulated, and and that is again part of what you know the the mission of the college and the kind of education that we're trying to trying to put out there is to help people make their own decisions to be critical and confident um and not just to swallow um uh, sometimes a lot of the poison that they're fed yeah that's really interesting i've got one last question from everything that's happened this year green recovery green jobs covid everything else that's going on what what would you like to see political parties take away from from all of this and oh, well if i was <laughs> first minister no um i think what we need uh is very clear i think the zero carbon britain agenda is is crystal clear i think the green new deal agenda is very clear i think the need for um all of the things that sophie howe's been calling for as the future generations commissioner in terms of um, a well-being economy and um, new metrics for measuring um, 
uh, how we how we judge a well-being and happiness rather than growth and so on. Um, I think all of that, uh, the, the path that we need to take is clear. I think what, what is missing is the ambition of, of politicians to actually set binding targets that are going to take us there. And the, the real genius of devolution, I think, the real promise of devolution is that we are a small country um, which has a um, a critical mass of of population that generally talks to each other and listens to each other and is therefore easier to 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 uh, inform and carry with um, than you know a, quite a divided um, polity like let's say the United States, which is enormous. So Wales has the statutory basis of the Future Generations Act. It has enough independence from the Westminster government, so that it can blaze a trail. It can, it can set ambitious targets. It can trial things. It can show um, the rest of Europe um, what's possible. And I think that seizing the, the opportunity of, of, of that possibility for Wales it, it, um, is really exciting. And that's what I would like to see. Whoever the government is, I would like to see them seize that opportunity and really deliver um, and show that we can cut emissions by um, very aggressive percentages within a decade. Um, and we can show other people how it's done. Very, very exciting opportunities for transformational shift, I think. Thanks so much for, for joining us and really interesting to hear about ongoing work. Um, I look forward to seeing where it goes next in the next half year. Um, and look forward to working with you as well to make it happen. Um, and thanks Great, so much very nice to for, talk to for you. your time. Today we're talking to Phoebe and Yasmin. Perhaps you'd both like to start by introducing yourselves? Yeah. Um, hi everyone, my name's Phoebe Maradeth. I'm 25 years old. I'm currently an intern working for a renewable energy company. Um, my role in that is I'm an assistant consensus manager. So I'm ensuring that all necessary environmental licenses and permits are in place before we start construction of our offshore wind farm project in the North Sea later this year. Hi, my name's Yasmin. I'm a 16-year-old student currently in sixth form and I'm a climate education campaigner with Teach the Future and part of Renew Deal UK. I got into climate activism through the youth climate movement two years ago and I've been campaigning ever since. All right, thanks both and thanks for, for joining us today. You're both obviously super, super passionate about... Um, what you're doing and I was just wondering whether you could go into a bit more detail about why you do what you do in in conservation and in climate and whether it's something you want to carry on doing do you have any plans for for your future careers where you want to take your careers has um and I think maybe importantly has COVID changed your plans as well I did my undergrad degree in geography and through that climate change I just realised was a massive impact and an aspect of everything I studied over my three years and um, it's sort of like this became this unavoidable issue you know it's everywhere um, and I then did a master's and then I didn't really know what I wanted to do but I knew that whatever job I um, started and um, what career I progressed like the goal in my head is that I want to make a difference and obviously coming from a geography background that difference for me is sort of led towards climate change um, but I think with Covid it has had a really big impact getting your first job is really hard anyway um, I really struggled personally so I finished my master's in September of 2019, I didn't start my internship till a year later. Um, I was working in retail for quite a while, which I was I was then furloughed from. And I just remember in March, I was, you know, applying for jobs every day. And then as soon as the lockdown was announced, all of the applications that I'd been working on were just wiped. You know, everyone just shut down. And there wasn't really any opportunities coming through. And I thought... Oh, what am I going to do now? But um, 
I think the thing for me was like I was quite proactive during lockdown and during my time on furlough. So um, I was still doing the environmental leadership program at the time. So I finished that in July. Um, I still had that connection to other young people that were still passionate about climate change, um, which was a really nice outlet to still be able to contact other people that had similar interests to me. Um, and yeah, so and then I got my internship working offshore wind, um, which is obviously a really big part of the government's plan to help reduce our emissions and combat climate change. Yeah, it's a really exciting project for me to be starting my career on and I hope hope to keep progressing with that. Oh, brill. I mean, congratulations for making it. I think um, a lot of people will have gone through what you've gone through and um, yeah. it hasn't been easy. Um, Yasmin, what about you? Because you're kind of, I guess... The last stages of school are you looking to go to university do you have a do you have a plan yes I do intend to go to university and currently I'm thinking about applying to do geography and doing human geography specifically looking at climate change and I would like to go into a job a green job around those issues however at this stage I'm not sure what that would be and by the time I've graduated, there could be so many green job opportunities that I could go into. That's really interesting that you've both kind of chosen a similar university degree. Um, I didn't know that. So that's a happy coincidence. Um, so in your kind of choosing university courses or choosing your master's or your undergrad, do you feel like, uh, or even I guess in your A-levels, do you feel like you've been given the the tools and the knowledge and the opportunities you needed to pursue these kind of interests? Because you're both clearly really passionate and trying to uh, create your like working life around it. Or would you like to see different courses or classes or opportunities uh, that would enable you to pursue it maybe a bit easier? Um, I think for me, like going back to when I was in school, um, I did geography at A-level and I did maths and I did art. So at the time, I didn't know what course I was going to do at university, but I just picked subjects that I found really interesting and that I loved. Um, and then I started looking at universities. And what caught my attention about doing geography was that it's quite broad. It covers quite a lot of different topics. But as I sort of previously said, they're all connected by climate change. And you sort of realise how interrelated all of these issues are between the physical world and also society. Um, so that was something that I really enjoyed about my course. Yasmin, I know you've been doing some things with um, climate education and I'm sure you've got a lot to say about that. So um, I was just thinking, what are, your, what are your thoughts on our current kind of education system at the schooling, university level, training apprenticeships? Are you um, finding a lot of opportunities to pursue your career? Do you think we need to create more opportunities, especially because you're very right, a lot of green jobs uh, haven't been created yet and there will be a lot more by the time you enter the workforce? To be honest, I think that the education around the climate crisis is absolutely appalling in secondary schools and even primary schools where it should, I believe it should be being taught from a young age and embedded into the curriculum as these issues impact so many people across the world and they're so intersectional with so many global issues that it's essential that um, these issues are talked about in subjects outside of geography and your sciences where it's generally taught um, the science behind climate change and not so much of what what these impacts of the crisis is actually having on people. And that's where the education system needs to be improved. Sure, yeah, of course. It sounds like you're both saying something very similar as well, that you can see the um, connections with the climate crisis and the nature crisis in every single subject that you're studying. Actually, jumping off what Yasmin said, um, comparing to what the education system was like when I was in school, I think I think young people now are really lucky that they've got these like youth education groups and like Youth Strike for Climate Change wasn't a thing when I was 16. 
Um, it wasn't as widely spread on social media. People weren't talking about climate change as much. And I can remember in school, like when climate change was brought up as a topic, everyone would be like, oh, not this again. But, you know, it's not going away. It's a really big deal. It's, you know, it's going to affect everyone's lives. And it wasn't really until I got to university and I met other like-minded people that were really passionate about issues to do with climate and the environment. But they weren't necessarily that strongly enforced when I was at school doing my A-levels. You know, we did so many other topics that weren't related to climate change. And yeah, I think it wasn't until I got to university that I realised that climate change can affect every single aspect of our life and our world, um, which, as Yasmin said, in school at the moment, it's only taught as a science. And there are so many social aspects of it, as well as economic. And those are things that we also need to address to, also, to be able to recover and be sustainable. Brill, yeah. As you, as you know, we're kind of um, talking about green jobs in the context of what's been going on in Wales over the last nine months. Um, we've been talking a lot about something that we're calling green recovery. It comes under many different ba um, banners. Some are calling it green and just recovery. Some are calling it build back better. But I think the general idea can be summed up to say that um, the Welsh government's response to COVID needs to also address the nature and climate crisis. And as a part of this, we're, we're kind of talking about um, green jobs. So you both have a very different background, but um, I'd be interested to hear what you would imagine green jobs to mean, either out of your own experience or, or what you would like to see that doesn't exist yet. What does, what does green jobs mean to you? So... Obviously, I've been looking for jobs. Well, I was quite heavily looking for jobs for the last year. And I didn't really have a specific title or role that I was applying for. I was applying quite broadly to jobs to do with the environment and sites like green jobs, jobs to do with nature. And I think I realised that actually it's quite broad. There's quite a lot of different opportunities out there um, that I've picked quite I guess, quite a scientific um, role to start off with. But um, still, offshore wind is not really taught in universities. It's not taught about really in schools. It's still very niche. And there's basically no jobs for young people to get into it. Um, when I was looking for a year, the only internship or graduate role I saw that came up that suited me was the one that I actually got. Um, so I think it's quite still quite tough. Um, especially now, obviously, with COVID, there's a lot more competition. So many graduates are coming out of university, not being able to even get a part-time job, um, are just applying, applying, applying at home. Um, so we definitely think that there does need to be a bit more support and more entry-level roles. Um, so when I was looking for a job, a lot of the roles I saw were coming up for people that had, you know, at least 10 plus years experience. And even for graduate roles, most of them wanted you to have two years of experience. And that's just not achievable. Um, but I think in terms of like the types of green jobs that are out there at the moment, obviously energy is a really big sector. But there's also to do a, a lot to do with biodiversity and ecology and how you can enhance that, um, which is quite a big thing for Wales at the moment. Um, waste management is quite a big deal as well, which is something that Wales is pretty hot on. We're doing really well with that. Um, but there's also like the education and communication side of things. So I've applied for jobs to do with that as well. Um, so I think it's made me realise that actually, if you do want a job to do with green recovery and to do with the climate, there is quite a lot more options out there than I necessarily thought. Definitely. Yasmin, what do you kind of imagine a career in green jobs, what, what those could be? Yeah, I think what uh, Phoebe said about it being in all sorts of sectors, but in addition to investing in these green industry jobs, um, I think that what's really important is that current jobs that already exist should almost be retrofitted so that they are green and they are complying with specific green regulations to ensure that the buildings people are working in are energy efficient they're, um, and they're doing stuff that's actually positively impacting the environment and their local communities instead of contributing to global warming and climate change. 
Brill, yeah. I mean, it sounds like um, both of you are looking for, for a job, not just, you know, to have an income and everything, but to really um, have an, Im- like an impact as well. Do, is that kind of what you look for in a job? Um, Yasmin, do you want to go first? Maybe just kind of, how do you see your role fit into, like your your job fit into a community or whatever? Or, or I, I assume you don't just want to make money. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to just make money. I currently haven't had a job ever. But the main reason I haven't got one is due to the pandemic. But when I'm looking for a job in the future, it would be how can I help people? How can I make the world a better place? What can I do to contribute to that as opposed to profiting? And so that's one of the main reasons why I want to go into a green environmental job. Sure. Phoebe, do you want to add anything to it? For me, when I sort of look at a job description or a job role, my sort of, I guess, the end of my career my goal is to look back and be able to think that I've made a difference. You might know, um, as part of Welsh Government's kind of green recovery plans, they they are thinking of something that we're calling a national nature service. Um, and as part of this episode, we talked to Ben from Black Mountains College as well, who's been involved in this process. And the idea is basically to use a, a training scheme for green jobs to help people who are struggling to get into into a work or who are facing redundancies, especially because of COVID, to provide them an opportunity with um, a kind of green job scheme. And I just kind of wanted to hear um, some thoughts from both of you. Yasmin, obviously, you had the chance to join for a meeting before Christmas. So if you have any any thoughts, feel free to add them as well. But um, I'm super excited about it personally. Is there something you'd like to see from a scheme like that? Um, Is it something you would welcome? I think I'd like to see these work schemes specifically uh, targeted to young people coming out of um, sick form and coming out of university so that they can go into green jobs. Um, I think that would include making sure that there's green and sustainable apprenticeships at vocational colleges available for people. So even if they have not gone to um, a conventional sick form, they can go straight into an apprenticeship where they can learn how to uh, join a green industry. Definitely. Phoebe, do you want to add anything to it? Um, Yeah, I think even coming from, I guess, quite a conventional background, I went to university, I've got a master's, I found it really hard to get a job. And if I'd have had something like that, that would have been able to give me the support, I think that would have been a perfect pathway for me. Um, but I think also, I understand that there's a lot of people that don't go to university and you know need other pathways into careers. So I think at the moment, like the range of apprenticeships and things like that, it needs to start broadening and there needs to be the support and the capacity to be able to get people into these careers because I think like the generation now we are a lot more aware and a lot more passionate about climate change and you know about like we're going to have much more effect of it and live through a lot more of it than you know people 30 40 years our senior so it's really really important to start getting people into these careers so they can start building and you know our generation has got really strong ideas and strong opinions that I think could really benefit these these businesses and these companies through these schemes. Definitely I know especially for for people who are just starting their careers or looking about especially during Covid it's probably a topic of quite a bit of personal anxiety as well I remember I, I felt exactly the same way. So thanks for, for actually engaging with this. And um, I just kind of want to leave any last thoughts or reflections or anything you want to you wanna add um, to both of you. And I'll start with Phoebe and then Yasmin, you can finish off. I think it's tough out there at the moment for everyone. You just have to keep going, but also don't put too much pressure on yourself. Like there isn't the infrastructure to support young people getting into green jobs, but do what you can. We're in the middle of a global pandemic. You know, you've just got to live through it, get through it, 
keep exploring your passions keep being proactive keep pursuing them there's so many online tools these days and they're free at the moment because of covid just get out there and show that you're passionate and be ready for when the job market does pick up we need to step up and um, urge our government in taking steps towards delivering a green job plan that will help create a thriving sustainable society where people are able to meet their full potential and invest in sustainable solutions that will ensure a safe and secure future for the planet and future generations to come. Absolutely. Some really inspirational thoughts from both of you to finish on and for us to take away and consider. Phoebe, Yasmin, thank you so much for joining us today and for giving us some insights into your perspectives and your passion on the subject. It's been really interesting talking to you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you to my colleagues, Katie Jo Luxton and Tabea Wilkes, and guests Sue Pritchard, Ben Rawlins and Phoebe and Yasmin for contributing to today's podcast. We'll leave you today with Make Nature Great Again by poet and artist Amelia Unity. You can watch the creation of a mural which accompanies this poem, find out more about the Revive Our World campaign, Five Steps to a Green Recovery, and take action to speak up for nature yourself at rspb.org.uk slash reviveourworldcymru. This green and pleasant land narrative is absurd it. It's not working. It's not gonna be worth it. This green fabric backlit picture could be rethreaded to make us all richer. Our society is blanket stitched, eyes wide shut to crystallising the benefit. System is missing both a carrot and a stick when one sixth of native Welsh species are at risk of becoming extinct. Let's unpick this. Don't beat the farmer too harshly. Our drum speaks of environment as a luxury. Please value natural capital properly. It's propping us up as we each reach for our own property. Let's stop. The proper thing would be to place value on the public goods we can't buy physically. Bring farmers along, they are a flexible breed. We need incentives for farms to grow their own feed and they will grasp the opportunity if the plan stands up naturally. This green and pleasant land narrative needs a hand to rebrand because we are not on top of the food chain. We are not on top of the food chain, so where do we fit? We're balancing the fence, we're a link in the middle of it. Tipping tangled web for our own benefit. System is missing something we've not inherited. We can do this. Work together for solutions to get through this. Haystack of needles, let's use this and prove this. Kiss the mist of solutions clear for a shift. To a whales that values a system nature can sustain. If we work within the food chain to make nature great again.